Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. You know, the term radical doesn't have the best connotation these days. When you hear radical, you might think of radical Islamists. You might think of radical Marxism. The left and the right radicalize one another. It's something we see in our culture. But then there's even things on the lighter note. I learned this week that there's such a thing as radical candor. Radical candor. You might want to try this with your spouse. Radical candor. (laughs) Sounds a lot like a synonym for for being rude to me. Um, And then there's such a thing as radical minimalism. I mean, look at that. That doesn't look like anything to me except a bachelor's pad, you know, a bachelor's apartment or something, radical minimalism, the things we think of these days. Yeah, and then people will say in a conversation, they'll say, here's a radical idea, and they'll follow it up with something that's not radical at all. You know, when people use the word radical today, they often really mean extreme. We've taken that word and we've turned it into a word that means extreme. Let me share with you a definition of the word radical. Radical is relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something. We repeat that again. Relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something. Far-reaching. It's thorough. The truest form of the word radical actually indicates something that has to do with the root where radical is, is, is really informed with the root of something, for instance, radical change is that that comes from the root. Think of the 1800s. Think of abolitionists. They were radical. And it was something that changed the root of this country at that time. A radical Christian is therefore one whose roots are in Christ Jesus. Roots are in Christ Jesus. One who loves God more than anyone, more than anything. That's what a radical Christian is. Note, this means that a radical Christian is not one who's a weird Christian. You know what I'm talking about. We're not talking about weird Christianity here. Someone who's trying too hard. You ever find yourself in that spot? Someone who's, who's trying to attempt to fit into a certain mold or a spiritual or cultural kind of figure? No. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about this idea of being radical. Let me point you to the scriptures. Colossians 2, 6-7 through 7, talks about this idea of radicalism and, and a root. Listen, Colossians 2, 6-7 and 7 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your life in Him. That's important. Continue to live your life in Him, rooted and built up in Him. It's a radical faith, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's a great verse for this series, I believe, or verses for this series. Being radical is nothing more or nothing less than being rooted. 
true to the identity God has given us through Christ Jesus. I found a quote this week that I thought speaks to this. This is Arthur Willis, Arthur Wallace, I should say. And Wallace says this, the radical Christian is not a special Christian. He simply qualifies for New Testament normality. Do you hear that? When we talk about being radical, this isn't something that's, that's just reserved for the special forces, the chosen few. No. There is no other kind of Christ follower than one who is radical. And so look, if we're not radical, then something is amiss. If you follow Christ, and there's not a root that's growing up in you, that's having an impact because of the power of God in your life, then something's amiss. We need to examine this. You know, so we're going to look at the scriptures. And when you think of biblical figures, there are several famous people from history that come to mind. Moses, David, John the Baptist, Paul the Apostle. You know, their examples of radical faith sometimes feel like they're out of reach, don't they? I mean, it's hard to measure up, in our own minds at least, to the Apostle Paul, this brilliant man. Well, through this series, we will be seeking to be inspired by some of the, quote-unquote, lesser-known biblical figures. And these maybe aren't people that are thought of as special people of faith or special Christians, but they are ordinary radicals. You hear me? Ordinary radicals who stand as examples of how we should live our lives. We're going to look at the first one today in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 4. Actually, I would suggest this. Get into your Bible this week. Read Judges 4 and 5 because there you will find an account of a woman named Deborah. We're going to look at Deborah's life today. There's a lot of things we could look at in this passage. But let's begin with Deborah. Would you go to Judges chapter 4 in the Scriptures with me? I encourage you, of course, to follow along in the Scriptures. I encourage you to take down some notes. God will speak to you. And as he speaks to you, capture those moments. Capture those thoughts. Go back to them through the week. Judges 4, I encourage you 4 and 5 this week. Let's begin in verse 1. The Scripture says this. Again... The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, was dead. Well, here we go again with the word again. And this is the same old problem. You might remember from our study of the book of Samson, which you can find on YouTube, where we talked about, this is the pattern in Judges, that again, the people of God sin against the Lord, they turn away from him. It's like a chronic disease. There's this falling away. It's an old problem that emerges again and again. And we're finding ourselves in the midst of a time when they had had decades of reprieve under a leader named Ehud. But now the oppression returns. You know, the book of Judges deals with a time when it was not obvious how or whether God was in charge, at least from a human perspective. I mean, the book of Judges is very complicated and messy. You might look and say, how is God over all of this? It's one of the questions that kind of hangs over the text. And certainly, during the time of the judges, there was a time and a sense of real uncertainty. There were questions being asked. There were, there were truths and tests being applied. 
there were lessons that were being taught. And here's what I would say as we begin this. With this backdrop, it's very relevant for today. I mean, aren't these times where people say, where, where is God? Is he active in all this? How is he a part of what's happening in the midst of the chaos in the world today? This text is very relevant. And, you know, we're focusing in on the ordinary radicals during this series, and we're doing that today. But make no mistake about it. These chapters we're looking at are primarily about God. They have to do with God. I'll tell you this. Israel and their mess of again and again and again falling back into these habits— Israel cannot save herself. Cannot. The battle belongs to the Lord. The victory belongs to the Lord. And I could say the same thing with confidence. We just sang it here this morning. Our hope in this life, in this world, in this time and culture is this, that the battle belongs to the Lord. We cannot save ourselves. And so I hope that's a message of hope for you. Does it mean we sit and do nothing? No. But we trust in God first and foremost the battle, the victory, belongs to the Lord. And that's one of the things we see in this text. Let's go back to Judges chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. So the Lord sold them, that's the Israelites, into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. They cried for mercy. They said, uncle. They were looking to God finally. And that's because there was this character, this man named Jabin. Now Jabin, uh, we read of him also in Joshua chapter 4. If you want a cross-reference, you could check that out. He had a leadership over an alliance of kings. This was a small K, king of kings, Jabin. And he was a tormentor of Israel. Now, based on what we read on Joshua 11, they probably thought that Jabin had been destroyed. But here he is, like a beast that's been fatally wounded, coming back again. He's back. Jabin is back. And this would have been a menacing thing to the people as they heard word that Jabin was back. It was like a Hitler coming back. It was like a Stalin coming back. That's the kind of figure that Jabin was in history. And here's what it reminds me. There will always be a Jabin. Now, I'm talking to us here. There will always be a Jabin in this life, in this present world. We await God's final salvation from evil. We're in the already but not yet. God has rescued us. The, the victory belongs to God. Yet we await his final victory. And so whether by oppression by terrible empires, we see the evidence of that in the world, or personal pains and the sins that you and I are fighting, there will always be a Jabin. Think about the Jabins in your life. There's an enemy. There's evil at work. There's darkness. This is why we pray. We just prayed it. This is why we pray and we say, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the Jabins. I want to ask you a question. Are you aware that you're in a battle? Have you forgotten that? Have you been lulled to sleep? Don't be, because there's a Jabin that's after you. The things that are happening in this world, the things that are happening in your life, there's an enemy who wants to take you and I out. 
the Jabins are after you. And so listen, I would say as a discipline, you might apply the Lord's Prayer to this, this week even. If you find yourself in the midst of time where it feels heavy and it's dark, I was just talking to one of our brothers this morning out in the Minton Commons. And he said, man, it's been tough lately. Listen, if the Jabins are after you, if you're feeling that, that sense of battle, pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. That's part of the battle. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins. Forgive me, God, as I forgive those who trespass against me. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Save me, God. An ordinary radical says, this is how I fight my battles. I pray. And so look, be aware that as we look at the context of this story about Deborah, that there was a Jabin then, there were powers of darkness and evil, there's powers of darkness and evil today. In this world, the sin that's in our lives, man, pray, fight your battles on your knees. Let's go back to the text. We're picking back up in Judges 4. Now we're going to read about this woman named Deborah. What a remarkable woman. Verse 4, now Deborah, a prophet, a wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. You know, um, there are plenty of famous women in the Old Testament. You could probably think of some. But I would say none take such a leading or important role to this point, at least in the scriptures, than Deborah. I mean, those who say that the Bible reduces women or diminishes women, that's misinformed. The Bible celebrates the, the power and the goodness of women, and we see a great, compelling example of that today as we look at the life of Deborah. Now, you might hear this description of Deborah as a prophet, uh, as a leader in Israel, a, a judge. You may say, well, there's nothing ordinary about a woman who's described in that fashion. I want to tell you that there's application for us today. There's 100% application for us today. And I had several qualities listed. I was cutting some out this morning for the sake of time. But we're going to look at four qualities of Deborah that I believe speak to our status, our, our vision of being ordinary radicals. Let's look at the first one right now. And we see it in verse 4. She was a leader. Deborah was a leader. In fact, leader, judge. She was, she was someone who had authority in Israel. She was the fifth of the judges or leaders that were set up by God to deliver the people of Israel from bondage, from idolatry. And what does she do? She leads by faith. She stirs people from their low spiritual condition and calls them to take on Jabin, a very practical thing in faith. And as we read through Judges 4, here's what you see. When you read it yourself, you'll see this. She is constantly pointing people toward God. She's constantly drawing the people's vision, their eyes toward the Lord. It's reflected in her speech. She says things like, the Lord commands you. She says, the Lord will deliver you. She says, the Lord goes ahead of you. Over and over again, it's reflected in her speech. Deborah was a leader. Now let's put that in our context. 
You know, sometimes I think people, we tend to think, well, I'm not a leader. I don't have a, a role of authority like Deborah had a role of authority. Listen, I would suggest there's an opportunity for leadership for each of you in some capacity. In your home, that may be, or your family of origin, there's an opportunity for leadership. In your workplace, there's an opportunity for leadership. In your school, there's an opportunity for leadership. In your friendships, there's an opportunity for leadership. There's opportunities for leadership all around you. Deborah was a leader. And here's what I would suggest that we do. We take our cue from Deborah. As leaders, we point people to the Lord. We point people to God. You may say, well, how do I do that? I'm not a preacher, and and I don't feel very comfortable, you know, speaking. No, no, I'm talking about who you are. Who you are. Your example is what will point people to the Lord. I think that's what we see in Deborah. Yeah, she used her words, but I think more than that, it was who Deborah was. And so wherever you find yourself, you could be a leader through your example. And let me make sure I underscore this. That's an imperfect example. Let's be clear. Your example, my example, the example of Deborah, all flawed, all imperfect. Let me tell you about a guy who is a part of our church family. We just hosted his memorial service here about a month ago. Warren Carr. Some of you knew Warren. And, and Warren was a remarkable man. He came to Christ right here in this church, actually in the barn. Pastor John shared the gospel and he responded to it. And Warren was a guy who, whose faith influenced his family. In fact, the compelling part about his memorial service was that his kids got up, his grandchildren got up, and they spoke about Warren. Not just what a fun person he was or a great grandpa he was, but about his faith and the impact it had. Now I'll tell you this, anyone who knows Warren knows that Warren had a lot of brokenness in his life. Warren had a lot of things where where they weren't perfect. The story wasn't real pretty sometimes. But you know what Warren did? He owned his sin. He owned his brokenness. And the legacy is that his family has been influenced by faith. Not because of a shining, perfect example, but because of a guy who was broken and knew it, who was sinful and owned it and turned to God. And that humility, that surrender, that repentance had everything to do with him being a leader in his family. You get it? Look, when I say be a leader, I'm not asking you to be this shining example, this perfect person. No. We're saying own your brokenness. Get on your knees. Tell people about the goodness of God and his mercy and his forgiveness and what it's done in your life. That's the beautiful testimony. Deborah was a leader. We've got to be leaders. As ordinary radicals, the radical thing is we embrace our brokenness. We embrace our sin because of who God is and what he's done through Jesus. That's the good news. Let's go back to this text. Now we're going to read some more about Deborah. She was a leader. Let's learn some more about her. Verse 6. She sent for Barak, son of Abinanam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them out to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. Now, she's teaming up with Barak. Now, listen, there's a whole lot to say here about Barak. I wish we can get more into it. We could do a whole study on him. It's incredible. 
and their partnership. And there's a lot that transpires here. Read it for yourself, but let's skip ahead to verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And so Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots, an army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. You know, we see that Deborah was a leader. And here we see reflected that she was also a warrior. This is a tough woman. I love her. She's a Pittsburgh kind of woman. Deborah was a warrior. And she was appointed, I'm sorry, she appointed Barak to lead the Israelite forces. Again, a whole story there. And she goes out eventually with Barak. Now, they were facing great odds. When you look carefully at the text, you'll see that the forces of Sisera had 100,000 men. Whereas the Israelites had 10,000 men. Compounded by the fact that this is the beginning of the Iron Age and the forces of Sisera, they've got chariots, lots of them. They're advanced. You're going to find later on in the text that, that the, the Israelites didn't even have spears or shields. Shields. They didn't even have basic weaponry. So they're incredible odds. But you know what Deborah was, this warrior? She was courageous. She knew, she knew that God was her ally. She knew that he was the way maker that we just sang about. That he was the promise keeper, the miracle worker. She knew that heaven comes to fight on her behalf. We're going to look at, at Judges 5.20 again, which is a companion text. And when you see 5.20, you'll see that she knows that heaven comes to fight for her. She raises her hallelujah. She was a warrior. Let me ask you a question. Do you know that heaven comes to fight for you? With the battles that you're facing in your life? Do you realize that the power of heaven is waiting and standing on guard to make a way for you? To fight on your behalf? Are you courageous in prayer? I believe that Deborah, there's no doubt, this confidence, this courage had to be born of prayer. So there's a young woman in our church. Her name is Mackenzie Teo. And Mackenzie is um, several months pregnant. Hallelujah. We're excited to welcome that baby into this family. And, and Mackenzie, this week on social media, uh, expressed a testimony of prayer, per se. You know, she's, again, with child. And so she was tired one day. And, and she said that she found herself saying, oh, I don't even want to make dinner. You ever been in that spot before? I don't even want to make dinner. She's, I, Lord, would, would you just put it on Spencer's heart, her husband Spencer, would you put it on Spencer's heart to make dinner for us tonight? Well, sure enough, Spencer walks in the door and he says, hey, honey, how are you? Can I make dinner tonight? And she's raising her hallelujah, saying, oh, yeah, you can make dinner tonight. You know, this doesn't surprise me because Spencer and Mackenzie came to our home and they brought brownies. And I'm eating the brownie. I'm like, man, this is a good brownie, Mackenzie. This is so good. She goes, I prayed for those brownies. <laughs> now, that's radical, praying for brownies, right? Now, you may say, okay, what does this have to do with anything? Listen, the point is this. As a warrior, we take everything in prayer before God. There's nothing too small for him. There's certainly nothing too big for him. Radicals, ordinary radicals. Find God in the midst of every day, and they fight on their knees in prayer. Like Deborah the warrior. Do you see it? 
Okay, let's keep learning about Deborah. Let's go to Judges 5. And let's read the first three verses here, maybe a couple of others as well. Uh, picking up in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take their lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. She continues, hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God in Israel, of a song, through a song, and in a song. She was a worshiper. Not only was she a leader, not only was she a warrior. Let me tell you, Deborah was a worshiper. This is called the Song of Deborah, this text in, in Judges 5, and it's believed to be among the, the old, oldest texts in all of the Old Testament. It's a celebrated piece of ancient Hebrew poetry, but more than that, it's a song of praise, and it celebrates not Deborah, not Barak, it celebrates God. And what this reflects to us is a life dedicated to God and His glory, and there's a lesson here for us, too, as ordinary radicals. As ordinary radicals, we are called to live a life of worship. That we would seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And listen, I'm not just talking about singing. We've had some wonderful singing up here. Again, Brad and, and the whole team and certainly having Kelly with us today. And I love singing, and I love when we sang like we sang today. But listen, it's more than singing when we talk about a life of worship. Deborah wasn't just a singer. It was a way of working for her. It was a way of seeking pleasure in her life. It was a way of life. That's what we're talking about. And it's all motivated by love of God. There's a, there's a guy in our church I've had a chance to get to know recently. His name is Chuck Schweinberg. And, and Chuck uh, had one way. Chuck would tell you, if he were up here, he would tell you, and I would love for you to hear his story. He would tell you that he had one way of working when he was a younger man. And he had one way of seeking pleasure he had a way of living his life. But that all changed when Chuck met Jesus. And now Chuck, well, he has a new way of life. Even a new way of pursuing pleasure. Chuck has a new thought and a new mind on this whole thing. He has a new way of working. Chuck is in a construction business. And of course, being a guy who loves to share Jesus and tell people about Jesus, he has a way of doing that even on the field when he's working on a construction site. He told me that he'll see guys getting ready to go into the port of John, and he'll grab one of these pamphlets and tells people about Jesus, and say, hey, while you're in there, read this, man. <laughs> Another radical idea. <laughs> and he said sometimes guys even read this and say, hey, that was pretty neat. He has conversations. Why does he do that? It's an ordinary radical. It's someone who realizes that not just singing, but all of life, his work, his pleasure, every bit of his life is intended to be worshipped to God. Deborah was a worshiper. You and I, we're called to be worshipers. Yeah, we're going to sing. But we're also going to, we're going to play and we're going to work. All of our life is dedicated to God. And it's an offering to Him. Let's go ahead and finish this up. Look at uh, Judges 7 through 9. Jump down there with me. Villagers in Israel would not fight, Deborah says. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen. You hear that? They didn't have the weaponry. Among 40,000 in Israel, my heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. 
Praise the Lord. So Deborah, she was a leader. She was a warrior. She was a worshiper. And she was a parental figure. She was a mother in Israel. That's how she's described. There's a, a quote that's accredited to Johann Bengel, who was an 18th century minister. And the quote says this. Bengel said, Jesus had no children that he might adopt all children. I love that quote. And so it is with Deborah. There's no record that she had children of her own. She may have. We're not sure of that. But we know this. She had compassion. Her heart is, is, is with Israel. You see that? Her heart was for Israel. She was like a mother. What a great metaphor. What a great picture of love and care and devotion. And listen, make no mistake. As ordinary radicals, we are called to be people of love. We are called to say, look, I, I, I have adopted this city in my heart. My heart is for Ohio Township. My heart is for Sewickley. My heart is for Pittsburgh. My heart is for Americans. My heart is for the broken people everywhere around the world. We have people in our own midst that are like this. Some of you know Tammy Glover. She and Pastor Ed for years have worked with Urban Impact. And one of the things I love about Tammy is that if you know Tammy, you know that her heart is with the people of the north side. She lives there. She serves there. Her heart is for the people of the north side. She's like a mother, and she's been a mother to many, many people. It's an expression of love. Deborah was like a parental figure. You and I, we're called to love. We're called to have a heart for the people that we find in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, all of it, like a parental figure. Now, you may hear all of this and say, well, I can't be like that. You might say, I can't be like Deborah. I can't be like Tammy. I can't be like Mackenzie. I can't be like Chuck. I can't be like these people. I can't do that. Let me tell you something. You're right. You're right. You can't do it. In fact, if I got Chuck up here and Tammy and Mackenzie, they would all say, yeah, you can't do it, and I can't do it either. You can't manufacture that kind of life. That's not how this works. No, it doesn't work that way at all. You don't have the strength. You don't have the wherewithal, and nor do I. Here's what happens when we try. It actually comes off weird. We're not talking about that. Do you know how all these people have had this expression in life and faith, including Deborah? You know what happened to them? What happened to them was this. Jesus got a hold of them. Jesus got a hold of Chuck. Jesus got a hold of Tammy. Jesus got a hold of Mackenzie. And let me underscore this to you again. The victory is the Lord's. Is that victory in Chuck's life? Is that victory in Tammy's life, Mackenzie's life, and all of them? And all the other ordinary radicals that are around us? And just as it was in Judges 4 and 5, just as it was at the cross, the victory is in Jesus, in the Lord, in your life. Jesus is the one who gets a hold of you and brings about this ordinary, radical life. But the question remains here. Will you allow Jesus to take a hold of your life, and will you take a hold of him? Will you take hold of Jesus? 
I would suggest this. It's the most radical thing you or I could ever do. To say, Jesus, I want you to get a hold of me. I'm letting go. I'm embracing the mercy of the cross to, as Judges 5.2 says, to willingly offer yourself. That's what it says about the Israelites. They willingly offered themselves. Would you willingly offer yourself to Jesus? That's how we take hold of him and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, forgive me of my trespasses. Forgive me of my sins. You are the Son of God. Jesus, deliver me from evil. I want to live for you. I want to take hold of you now. Take hold of me. Paul says this. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus who lives in me. This is the root of one who is an ordinary radical. Church, family of God, friends, anyone who hears my voice, listen. There's nothing more radical than the person of Jesus. And his presence in your life will transform you into someone who loves incredibly well, like a parent. Even for people you don't know. The presence and root of Jesus in your life will turn you into a person who's a worshiper, who sees all of life as a song. All of life is an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus and to live in that truth and walk into it. Turn you into someone who's a warrior on your knees praying. Turn you into someone who's a leader. Who's used by God to influence people even in your brokenness. I'm so excited to see a generation of ordinary radicals like Deborah and like all the other people we've talked about today raised up in this generation. Oh God, make it happen in our day and in our times. Amen. Let's pray. Let's turn to God. This is your moment to surrender to Him. Would you turn to God in this moment? Oh Lord, we thank you for the examples you've given us. We thank you for Deborah. What an incredible woman. And we give you glory because the victory is yours. The real hero of the story, God, is you. We thank you that Deborah lived her life surrendered to you. We thank you, Lord, for her intimacy with you. The fact that she was someone whose life spoke to your glory. That she was a person who sought you through prayer and faithfulness. That she was someone who worshipped you. It wasn't her strategy or her brilliance. It was a life surrendered to you. And ultimately, Lord, it was a life expressed in love for other people. Father, I pray that, like her, we would be radical with the root of Jesus Christ, our identity found in him and him alone, that that would be the difference in our lives and that we also would be people who express love incredibly well and that we would be worshipers, warriors, and leaders. Oh, God, help us. We turn to you. The victory is yours, God. Certainly, Lord, if there's someone in this room or listening online and worshiping with us today who has never said to you, has never taken a hold of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would get a grip on their heart and that they would say, oh God, forgive me my trespasses. Forgive me of my sins through Jesus. God, deliver me from evil. Save me. 
I believe in Jesus. Oh God, I pray that this root in us, the root of him who was crucified for our sins, who's been resurrected from the dead, would empower us to live for his glory as ordinary radicals. Do it, Lord, in our generation. Do it in this city. Do it through this church and others, Lord. You are the way maker. You are the promise keeper. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.